South Dakotans have relied on the horse for hundreds of years to work the land, compete for the ultimate prize, and enjoy the view of the rolling hills and prairie lands from on top of the South Dakota horse. We celebrate equine power, grace, and beauty, and the South Dakotans who take the reins. This is the South Dakota Horse Podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Justin Ehrman and I am your host for the South Dakota Horse Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the show. In episode six, I have the pleasure of visiting with horse trainer Claude Roebuck, owner and operator of Western Workhorse near Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I also want to pay a special thank you to the sponsor of today's show, Midwest Pulse Therapy of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, Midwest Pulse Therapy provides pulsed electromagnetic field therapy for horses, humans, and other livestock, animals, and pets. Your path to improved health starts here. First, I wanted to cover some upcoming uh, calendar events. Uh, this Saturday, March 7th, we have the 5th Annual Light the Night and Luminary Walk, uh, which is a fundraiser for the Borderlands Horse Sanctuary. Uh, find out more information on their, their page uh, or their website, and um, it looks like a really neat experience. Uh, March 14th, there's a volunteer orientation at Gentle Spirits Horses Rescue. March 28th, there is a uh, fundraiser. This is a big fundraiser for horsepower in Sioux Falls. It's the Blue Jeans and Bling 2020, and that is at the Minnehaha County Country Club. We also have the um, Buckles and Bling 2020. That is a and that's an event at the Dana Dyke House Stadium. And um, also, that I guess that coincides with the SDSU Rodeo 66th Annual Jackrabbit Stampede. Um, that is sponsored by SDSU Rodeo, and that is also in Brookings. Next, now that the weather is getting warmer and the winter ground will start, be, will be starting to thaw, I'd like to share some segments of an interesting article I found about hoof care. This comes from the Practical Horseman magazine, and uh, it is written by AFA certified journeyman farrier, uh, journeyman farrier Chris Volk, uh, who cares for performance horses, hunters, jumpers, dressage, and eventers, uh, from Olympic to local levels of his homeville, uh, from Olympic to local levels out of his homeville forge and farrier service. Uh, the, he is based in, in Washington, Virginia. He is also the team farrier for the Canadian equestrian team and traveled with the team traveled to the team to the 2006 World Equestrian Games in Germany and the 2007 Pan Am Games in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. So the top are the 10 hoof care tips to keep 10 hoof care keeps 10 hoof care 10 hoof care tips to help keep your horse's hooves healthy and strong. One is to pick out your horse's feet uh, before a ride, after you untack the horse, and when you bring it in at night or before turnout. And, and before turnout in the morning. Establish what's normal temperature. Uh, when the hoof is healthy, there should be a slight warmth to the hoof. When picking out feet, 
Look for signs of thrush, punctures, cracks, and, and, and abscesses. And also remember to schedule regular farrier visits. Number five, if your horse is shod, check his horseshoes. Check his shoes each time you pick out his feet. Yeah, look for risen clinches. Uh, the ends of the nails after the, the ends of the nails your farrier trimmed and clinched um, at his last shoeing are now sticking out from the hoof. This is a, a sign that the shoe is loosening, probably because it's been in place for several weeks. He can injure himself if the risen clinches are uh, on one foot, brush the, the inside of the other leg. A sprung or shifted shoe. When instead of sitting flat on your horse's hoof, the shoe is pulled away and perhaps even bent, it's sprung. Number six, learn how to remove a shoe. Yes, you can too. Uh, many farriers are glad to teach clients how to do this and may even have used tools and may even have used tools you can buy inexpensively. If you can remove a sprung or shifted shoe, you may save your horse unnecessary pain and hoof damages um, and, hoof da and hoof damage and make life easier for your farrier or veterinarian. Number seven, help your horse grow the best possible hooves through fine tuning their diet, adding a biotin supplement and regular exercise. Number eight, avoid the summer cycle of alternate soaking and drying of hooves. The, uh, your horse's hooves can adapt well over time to conditions that are consistently dry or consistently damp, but hooves suffer when the, the environment fluctuates between wet and dry. And there are some things you can do to minimize this pattern. Uh, cut back on summer turnout time. Reduce moisture absorptions by applying tough stuff uh, to, the lower, to the lower thirds of, his, of the horse's hooves before evening turnout. Avoid unnecessary baths. Shorten his summer shoeing schedule. And toughen his soles with a daily application of Venice turpentine. Number nine. Try not to turn out in deep, muddy footing. Uh, hours of standing in mud may encourage thrush or scratches. Uh, mud is hard on shoes, too. The suction of deep mud can drag off a shoe already loosened by alternating wet and dry conditions. And number 10, protect your horse's hooves during hauling. Make sure you add the protective, co uh, protective covering to the hooves to prevent it from... Uh, prevent the hooves from being damaged from kicking or scratches or uh, things like that in the in the trailer. All right, our special guest here today is Claude Roebuck from the, the Sioux Falls area, and many of you know him. He's kind of a, a horse trainer extraordinaire. Uh, Claude, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you. It's nice being here. So I guess let's let's start off by just telling us a little bit about you, uh, where you grew up. Um, when did you first start to ride? Um, tell me if you uh, if, about your family, things like that, just to get to know you a little bit. Uh, we grew up out by Montreal, South Dakota, which is about 30 miles west of Sioux Falls. We lived out by Lake Vermilion. We had 160-some acres. Um, Dad always had a bunch of horses around. Uh, we started riding. I started riding probably when I was four or five, six years old in there somewhere. Um, had a little Appaloosa pony that I started with. And, and I remember Dad coming home one day. He had the buck 
25 head of wild ponies about at an auction, and uh, we had to we had to start riding them, and and uh, that kind of kind of got me started in the training business. And then about 12 years old, we started training for outside people, and and uh, and doing that. And I did that through high school and road rodeos, and and then for oh, about two or three years after I graduated, I rode rodeos and trained horses. That's what we did for a living. Got married and had some kids, and. Uh, uh, Trained horses on the side, so I've been doing this horses about all I know. Other than the, other than the other, only other job I ever had was was working at a factory in Sioux Falls. But other than that, it's just been horses. Wow, that sounds that sounds fantastic, actually. So um, now, do your your kids do they uh, do they train as well? Well, I had two daughters, Rebecca and Jessica. Uh, Rebecca married a gentleman by the name of Chantry Norman. She lives up by Hayes, South Dakota. I think they. At one time, I know they had about like 20,000 acres, and uh, so I got the three grandkids up there. They all ride and uh, give me pretty good hands. My other daughter married Evan Brackey up by Presho. They've got 12, 15,000 acres too, I think, and, and uh, uh, she just had a little grandkid for me, so now I'm a grandpa again, but uh, they, they ride too and, and, and do some training, and, and uh, it's kind of a family thing. It always has been in our, in our family. Oh, great, and congratulations on being a grandfather. Yeah, that's the neatest thing in the world. It sure is. So let's talk about your your training techniques. Um, what what? Um, well, is there a name for the technique that you use? You know, there's there's a lot of names being thrown around. Natural horsemanship is big right now. Um, but what I've done is over the years is, I mean, it's been over 45 years I've been starting these horses, and and there hasn't been one day I haven't learned something. Um, and I know a lot of people talk about how they. You know, Ray Hunt, Tom Dorrance kind of started the natural horsemanship craze, but they to themselves don't like putting a name, wouldn't like putting a name on it. It was just horsemanship. It was letting the horse teach you, uh, teach you what works and what doesn't. And that's kind of what I've done. I've molded my training. I've tried a lot of different techniques, tried a lot of different things. Um, and I never let anybody else tell me their method was the best. Um, when I tried something and the horse responded to it in a positive way, I kept doing it. Uh, and when they find out it doesn't work, and then I, then I quit using that, or I find something that works better, I'll go to I'll go start doing that. But what I found that works the best is slow. Um, when I was younger, and I think this has been a detriment to the horse world for for centuries, and that is when we somebody wants us to train a horse, they want it doing all these things in 30 days or 60 days. Uh, so we we try pushing that young horse to do that, so we get, so they bring us another one. But uh, as I've gotten older, I don't need that many clients. Um, I tell them, uh, the horse will tell me when, when it's ready to go to the next step. So what I've done is I've break I've broke my training down into, I get a young horse in, I'll get him used to ropes. I'll, and it's a step-by-step process, really slow. Uh, and when they're ready for one step, uh, then I'll take them to the next, putting a bit in their mouth, uh, getting them saddled, getting them used to ropes, making them gentle and quiet is my biggest, my biggest obstacle is making them gentle and quiet. Um, if I can get one gentleman quiet in 30 days, he's got the rest of his life to learn how to slide, turn around, and, and, and do a job. But uh, when he's gentleman quiet, he'll do it all. Okay. Well, that, um, that sounds like a great place to start. So um, so you start out with that. Um, what tell, Kind of walk through the steps with me. So if you want to give your, your client a, a pretty fully uh, trained horse, what are some of the steps that you follow? Well, the first thing we would do is we'd get him in and, and 
do an evaluation of him, um, move him around, see how he moves, see, see, see kind of what, what his body language is telling him. Uh, but one of the first, the most important things I think a guy can do is get him used to ropes. Um, we, well, I'll, I don't do a whole lot of traditional round tending anymore, but I'll put a rope around their neck. It's got a metal hondo on it. And as I'm kind of doing what they would call round tending, I'm using him pressure and release each corner, getting him to turn and face me. And, uh, when he starts doing that, starts understanding that pressure and release, uh, then I, I start wrapping him up with them ropes, you know, just throwing them all over, getting him desensitized. People call it desensitized and I call it getting him confident, uh, where the ropes are on him and, and, uh, once he's used to that, then the next step would be to put a saddle on him, um, put a hang a bit in his mouth, or, or and then uh, move him, move him around with that. Uh, right now, I just got I got a young kid out helping me out. We're, we're ground driving a few that we just started a few days ago. Uh, but the ground driving, what I like with that is before you ever step on that young horse, he knows how to turn, stop, and back, understands pressure and release, and all of that. And then when we couple that with getting him used to the ropes and all the other things, we're, we're making him gentle and quiet. Uh, and in the process, uh, now in a few more days, we'll get on these young horses. We just started a few days ago and they'll ride off. Um, and they'll, they'll, they'll understand the pressure and release. And, uh, if they're genuinely quiet, then we can start turn, working on the turnarounds, the stops, doing everything slow and correct. And, uh, when we're done, we've got a complete horse, one that, that trusts people, uh, understands, like I said, the pressure and release. And, uh, we like getting them outside, but this time of year, it's a little tough. Um, it's kind of icy and slick out, but the sooner we can get them outside, show them some new things out there, ride them over tarps, uh, get them used to anything that we possibly could, uh, we end up with a with a horse that uh, when when we're done with them, we can't finish one in 30 to 60 to 90 days, but we can put a good enough start, a good enough foundation on that horse to whoever takes him from then on out, uh, we'll be able to he'll be moldable, he'll be ready to train. Sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of an important step, isn't it? That desensitization. Yeah, to, and I, and I you think know, make sure. Yeah, and and I think that that's, that's one of the things that's lost in the training is is that first thirty to sixty days putting that good foundation on them. Um, when I when I break my training down, I you got just like building a house. It's the foundation, and then once you've got a good foundation, you can build on that. So I my in my starting colts, I, I put the foundation on. Somebody else can do the building on top of that. If I don't do my foundation correctly, they can build the most extravagant building on top of that or the biggest training deal they can on top of that. But if I've got cracks in that foundation, it's going to show up the first time a, a pheasant jumps up underneath them or a rope gets wrapped around their legs. Then they're going to find the cracks in the foundation and find out they don't have the broke course they thought they had. So um, I always tell everybody, I've never, I don't finish a whole lot of horses because I don't have them long enough. But I like to think my job at starting them is just as important as the guy that finished them. Because if they're not started right, they can't be finished. Sure. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So yeah. have you kept track of how many horses you've trained over the years? You know, I've, I've kind of thought about that. And you see, I bet you, you know, I, I try not taking too many because when you do that, you, you sacrifice um, your, your training is what you do. I mean, if you've got eight, ten horses you're riding a day, it's pretty tough to do a to, to give each horse what he needs that day. Uh, right. So I figure if I, if I averaged um, 15 horses a year over 40, 45 years, that could kind of give you a kind of a close estimate. And that's, that's not counting the ones I tuned up or the ones that I brought in to, to, to resell and stuff like that. But uh, right. it, it probably comes up to quite a few horses. Okay. Yeah, that is. So who is your, your typical client? 
a typical client in this part of the state is uh, someone who, who just wants a trail ride, wants something gentle and quiet. Uh, they don't have to spin a hole around. They don't have to slide to a stop. They just have to be safe. And uh, what I'm finding now in the last 10 years has kind of gravitated to uh, probably over half the people I get call me, they had horses when they were kids. And now they're sure. older. They're 45 to 55 years old, and they want another horse. And uh, it darn sure better be safe. It darn sure better be quiet. <laughs> you know? Right. And so that's, that's what I find. And, and, you know, we've got all these trainers that, that are finishing horses, and, and that's a great deal. And, and uh, but yet the market right now is probably 70% that quiet trail horse. The 30, other 30% is cutting, raining, barrels, and, and performance horses. So uh, there, there's, there's a big need for these gentle, quiet horses, and there's fewer of those gentle, quiet horses now than probably ever before. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, that type of client, um, how, uh, what would be the typical time frame that to take to, to prepare a horse to be ridden by, you know, a, a 40 to 55 year olds or a beginning rider? You know, and that, that's a, that's an interesting question as well, because there's so many variables, but, uh, um, one of the things I'm going to try doing out here at my establishment at Western Working Horse here is, is take and change my outlook or, or, or kind of what I've been doing my whole life is training horses. But what I found is, is, uh, unless I help the people, uh, to, to know how to take that horse that I've tuned up or I've got ready to sell and ride him correct. Um, it's doing the horse of this service and them of this service. So one of the things I think is, is a big need and probably all across the nation. And that is getting the proper help as far as riding lessons and not just riding lessons, but how to, how to handle a horse, how to take care of him, um, the full spectrum of that. So I'd like to make this place out here kind of a training facility for people. Um, because, uh, you know, I sell horses every year and, and I know if I talk to the people I sold horses to two, three years ago, probably half of them are not getting along with them. Oh. <laughs> but I've never, but I've never sold the horse that stayed in my place that they didn't get along with. And what that sure. really reestablished in my mind is it's not the horse. It's and it's and it's not the people messing them up on purpose. If they don't have the the knowledge to keep that horse where he is, or to progress him any further in his training, and and the horse will always end up at your level. Right. And so if we. I think the big need is to be able to help people. And when I sell a horse too, I, I really like selling one close by. That way, if they got help, if they need help, I can go help them. Because they, if, if they're new or, or young riders, they're going to need help. Right. If you can look, think back about all your experiences over the years, uh, what's been the, the biggest challenge that you've experienced with a horse? I think the biggest challenge is that this, you know, I've, I don't think I ever come in the house in the evening where I don't, think about something I could have done different because uh, there's no two horses exactly the same. And I've come to the realization as you get older too, you can't fix them all. Um, there's horses out there that you just, just like there's some people have had every chance in the world to be good people and they just turn out not to be good people. And there's some horses that you can give them every chance to be good horses and they just, they just choose not to be. Uh, so that's the biggest challenge is, 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 knowing when to quit one and say, you know what, he isn't worth it. There's too many good horses out there to ride uh, or, or to tell somebody that brings you one to train that, you know what, I'm going to pull the plug on him. And you know, if somebody else can fix him, uh, that's, that's good, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend any more of your money and my time 
on a horse that in six months might you get you call me and, and you got hurt on him because he just just wasn't didn't have the mind or the want to to be a, to be a good horse you know so that's probably one of the biggest challenges is is uh is 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 being able to read a horse and know which one's got the potential and and which ones just aren't worth the time yeah that makes sense so uh, along the same lines, then, have, have you ever just looked at a horse and said, nope, I, I, I don't think I can work with this one? <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's you know, if, if a guy does that, and I know people that do the same thing with bloodlines. They say, well, well that's the horse is bred that way. I'll never, I'll never ride one of them. But um, there's always that one that will fool you. So, I, you know, I don't care what he looks like when he comes or what he acts like when he comes. Let me work with him for two or three weeks and give him the chance to show me what he is. And, and sometimes you'll take one that, uh, that looks like a bronc. He's blowing and snorting. And, and in two weeks, he's falling around like a puppy dog, you know, um, <laughs> and, it's, and it's just because he never had the chance or, or whatever exposure he had to people before, before me, uh, wasn't good. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's been some that I sure as heck didn't want to take. <laughs> <laughs> and I always, I always tell everybody when we were younger, my brother was a pretty good bronc rider and I never really was. And uh, we'd we'd get two horses, two or three horses, and he'd let me pick which one I wanted. I'd always pick that gentle dog type one, and he'd pick the one that looked like it might have some fire. And after I got thrown off, we'd switch horses. You know, so I, I learned I learned a lot that way. You, you really can't tell by just looking at them. You've got to you got to you got to give them the opportunity, handle them correctly, and and then see see how they respond to the training. Sure. So, is there a breed of horse that uh, is easier to work with than others? You know I, it, I think it, that all depends on what you what you grew up with. We grew up around the quarter horses, and then within each breed too, there's different bloodlines. Um, I always liked my, myself. I prefer the old cut and cow bred. We always had polka boy and bred horses. You got king bred. You got uh, the cow bred horses. I, I kind of like them. But in, over the years, I've got the chance to train uh, a lot of different kinds of horses. We've got Tennessee Walkers. We've got Missouri Fox Trotters. We've had Frisians. We've had them all. And and what I find is they they all got the same the same traits, um, they're, they're all, they're, they're horses. I mean, they, um, they respond to pressure and release. They respond to, to someone who's fair and, and shows them things in a way that they understand. Uh, so in that respect, I, I kind of like riding all different kinds of horses. It, you learn a lot from all, from all of them. The horses in general, they seem to be pretty intelligent, don't you think? Yeah, they are. And, and especially in, in the pressure and relief aspect of it and in, in survival. Um, I had a guy tell me one time, we give horses too much credit for being too smart. And, and I thought, what, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, yeah. he said, you take a 1200 pound horse and he walks across the yard and a piece of plastic blows in front of him. He runs across the yard and through electric fence and cuts his front leg off. He said, that's not really intelligent. So what, what he said, and he said, I'm not taking anything away from the horse. He said, cause this, this guy here, his name was Will Howe. He's trained world champion cutting horses, reining horses. But he said, I give the horse the, the mentality of a third grader with a little mental retardation. He said, that's not taking nothing away from the horse, but he said it made me a lot better trainer because it made me more patient. Uh, so then when a horse wasn't getting something, he, he wouldn't think it was, if you think they're real intelligent, we think he should get this. Then we try pushing it on him. But when we start realizing he's not as intelligent as we think, then we take, maybe take things slower and say, he's not getting the way we're teaching here. Can we teach him in another way that he'll understand and accept it? And that's helped me tremendously in my training. So it's not that they're dumb animals. They're really smart. 
but we, we've got to teach them at a level that they will understand. And I think that's sure. where training is. I think that's where training has taken a, a wrong step. Is uh, we've got clinician after clinician after clinician. There's thousands of them, and they all started with Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance, like I mentioned at the beginning. But but to make it their own, they made it more complicated. Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance were real simple. It was pressure and release. It was it was under, feeling our horses and, and and understanding how a horse thinks. And and I think some of the trainers have gotten away from that. And they, they seem to have maybe, I guess maybe more of what I was thinking of with the intelligence is they, they seem to like like many animals. I think they they really are able to connect to your your emotional uh, status and and really connect with that. So, um, you know, if you're having if you're having a bad day, uh, they can probably sense that, right? Yeah, that that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, it's it's and and. That's uh, something too. As I get older, um, I, I realize more that there's some days that maybe I shouldn't even work the horse if I'm in a bad mood because they can they can tell it. And and a horse and a horse can really tell when you care, or truly care. That they, they can tell it. They can sense it when when you when you when you truly do care for them and and, and you want the best for them. Um, you know, when I was younger, I'd get mad at one. I'd be mad at him all day. Um, if I get mad at one now, and I, if I got to school him a little bit. As soon as he gives me that any any kind of inkling that that he's changed his mind and wants to wants to come in and be my friend, then I've got to instantly be the nice guy. And sure. uh, they they can <laughs> they can sure sense that. And they they can tell when you're upset. They can tell when you're happy. They can tell when you're pleased with them. But uh, we also need to realize that that when they do something good, we better we better praise them for it because they if we don't praise them, they'll quit doing good things for us. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, now you, I think I heard you say you sell horses. Do you breed them or or do you just buy them, train them, and then sell them? Yeah, my dad raised colts for years, and, and there's a lot of, there's there's money in it if you do it, if you do it correctly. Um, and you've got the right mares and the right studs. But but um, what, I've, what I've kind of found is I can go out and I can find all kinds of horses that were sent to trainers at two and three-year-olds. They're gentle, quiet horses, just never been really taught a whole lot. Um, and, and these and uh, what I'd like doing with them is I can I can buy them pretty reasonable if they're gentle and quiet, and I spend thirty to sixty days riding them, tuning them up, um, make sure they're safe on the trails, make sure they're safe, and, and then find homes for them. That works pretty good for me. Uh, as far as raising as far as raising babies, I can go buy a two year old cheaper, and I could raise one. Yeah, you know, it's just the market the market's really great for tremendous horses, and pretty poor for fair horses. <laughs> okay. So um, when you're going out, do you go to, to, to sales or do you usually buy from a private uh, private owner or where do you get your horses from? Well, I'm in a situation here. I've got the reputation now for, for selling decent horses and, and then uh, being pretty good at tuning one up and, and, and making and finding good homes for him. So I don't think there's a week goes by. I don't get two or three calls of people saying, hey, we've got this horse I bought for my daughter. Uh, she is no no longer riding. It hasn't been rode for two or three years. Wants to be tuned up or needs to be tuned up, or we can sell it. We don't know how to sell it, and we don't want to take it to a sale. So they bring it to me, and 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 uh, they know that I'll ride it, make it a better horse, and find it to get home. So I I don't think I've bought over five horses at a sale in the last ten years. Oh wow! Okay. And and I never run out of horses, so <laughs> I get them all the time. <laughs> sure, that's yeah. that's great. 
uh, do you host any training workshops or, or you know, for others that want to learn how to do this on their own or? Well, that's kind of where we talked about before. I want to, I want to kind of change my, my thinking here and get more into a training facility for people. Here sure. was last year, we did do some training workshops on like Wednesday nights and we call them horse forums. And then, uh, you know, a month ago I did a cold start demonstration um, we took three horses over. I showed them the first time it was saddled, and I showed one that um, we did all the groundwork. I showed them the first ride, and then I showed them one that had about 40, about 30 rides on it to kind of and show them what we did in between each process to kind of give them a full a full spectrum of what actually goes into training. And uh, now I've, I've got a couple other things I do. I do a light and polite demonstration to show people how to ride our horses uh, and, and be be as light as they possibly can and, and be polite as, as a as a, as a rider, because for years, uh, people look at somebody, he can ride from point A to point B and he really rides fast. They say, that guy can really ride. But if you ask his horse, they're going to say, this guy can't ride at all. You know, he's quick with his hands. He's, he's spurring and jerking on me. He never, never prepares me for a turn or stop or a back. And, uh, so that's kind of what that, that demonstration is. And then I've also got one we do for, for problem horses where people can come and ride with me and, and we'll fix little problems and show them how to, how to correct little things before they turn into big issues. Yeah, that sounds like some some great things you're doing. Yeah, and and the biggest thing is it helps the people and the horses, and that's that that's uh, you know when I when I can see a horse and, and that's having issues, and and a lot of the horse issues are people issues, and show them how how to fix that. And usually, it's it's just little corrections, you know, over and just just repeatedly doing the same thing correct, your your horse responds to it. So it's it's kind of yeah. enjoyable for me, and I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. Yeah, I, I actually was. I had wanted to go to your your workshop over at Horsepower uh, last month, but uh, didn't didn't wasn't able to do that. We ended up going out of town, but uh, hope hopefully I can catch one of yours again in the future. Yeah, we plan on doing a few more this spring, and and uh, the public always welcome. And and, uh, and like I say, we we call ours demonstrations. I don't like the term clinic because then you're going to come and learn everything. All my horse knowledge. Where a demonstration, a demonstration can come there, and and we're both going to learn what the horse will teach us, you know, and, and we can we learn together. So, uh, I, I like the terminology demonstration a lot better than clinic. So, so um, for someone who hasn't worked with you before but wants to uh, use you or your services, how can they do that? How can they get a hold of you? Well, I've got a, web, a website, WesternWorkingHorse.com, and they can go there, and then there's a form they can fill out. I've also got a Facebook page under Claude Roebuck, and uh, I've got one under Western Working Horse LLC. Or they could just give me a call at my phone number as well, which is 605-201-0682. So um, there's plenty of ways to get a hold of me. So yeah, I'm great. always here. All right. Anything else you want to share? Well, I guess uh, I, I say we really appreciate working with horses. We, we appreciate the people who brought horses to us and the ones that trust horses with us. And, and, uh, my my first my first uh, obligation is to the horse, and if I do that correct, then, then I'm also uh, the second obligation will be that if I'm treating the horse right and sending a good horse home and a good product home, then I'm also helping the people. So and it's worked out pretty good for me, and hopefully I can keep doing this for many more years. And I've got a couple of young kids helping me now, which is going to help prolong that because they can get on the buckers or the Bronx or the, or the ones I don't want to. And when I feel he's ready, I'll get on him. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, very good. 
Well, uh, Claude Roebuck uh, from Western Working Horse, uh, appreciate your time today. And uh, please, uh, if you are ever interested in in getting a horse that is already uh, on its way to being prepared to be ridden, uh, give Claude a call. He's got a great reputation in the eastern part of South Dakota, but I think you're pretty well known everywhere in uh, in the region probably, huh? Yeah, you know, we did them cold starting challenges the last two years, and that that really helped speed up because we did them in Minnesota. Uh, Wyoming, Minnesota, uh, Montana, Nebraska, and that that really helps get some exposure. People know that you're here because there's there's a lot of good trainers in the country, and you, you got to just about do something to kind of set yourself apart. Yeah, def- definitely. Well, thanks again for your time, Claude. You bet. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, we're at the end of our time together today. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to our special guest, Claude Roebuck of Western Workhorse. And we are grateful for the sponsor of today's show, Midwest Pulse Therapy of Sioux Falls. Be sure to check out their website at midwestpemf.com. Your path to improved health starts here. And be sure to follow our podcast on your platform of choice so we can continue to grow. Remember to visit SouthDakotaHorse.com for all things equine in the great state of South Dakota. Until next time, keep riding.